0: so hard oh my trouble so hard don't nobody know my trouble with god don't nobody know
1: my trouble but god. so i'm going to start uh you can see marit up here too marit styles our, our our opposition education critic at queen's park of the ndp Um, And uh, we're going to be chatting, Marit and I, for about 15 minutes until we open the floor up to all of you, because this is really about you and about hearing from all of you. So um, that's the purpose of this evening. Uh, so Marit Stiles, if you don't know her, this is her. First of all, before she ever became the MPP for Davenport and the education critic for the Ontario NDP at Queen's Park, she was a school trustee. So she was in the trenches with the rest of you. Um, and before that, she was a president of uh, the federal party, the NDP. And before that, she was involved in a union, um, another union, ACTRA. So she's had a long history of labor and a long history of fighting for justice. So, Marit, welcome to The Radical Reverend Show and welcome to Education Matters, this podcast.
2: Well, thanks, Sherry. And it is uh, such a pleasure to be here with you, as always. Uh, I just love how I love your podcast. I love being here with you. And I'm really excited about all these these familiar and new faces that I'm seeing here joining us. And uh, I'm really excited about the opportunity to also hear from folks a little bit about what they're experiencing, um, some of their questions. I see a lot of people that uh, have, I know, really interesting contributions to make, a lot of leaders, a lot of amazing advocates. Um, And so it's really uh, wonderful to see everyone here. And, um, you know, it's been a I guess it's like an understatement now, right? We start out by saying, what a hard year it's been. But I think when you look at like what it's been like in education, uh, it's been brutal for the workers on the front line, for the students, for the families, um, for all the boards, it's been a tough year. So um, I'm looking forward to like talking a little bit about you know what we've gone through, but also like where we're headed, so thanks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and of course, just a shout out to those who are still in classrooms. Uh, we constantly hear this on Twitter and on social media that, oh, all the schools are closed. Well, no, not quite. Um, so there is that. And just, uh, again, a reminder that uh, you need to get your vaccinations however you can in the next couple of weeks if you're going to be fully vaccinated by September. And this is one of the, uh, the, the fights that uh, we really want to keep the Ford government's feet to the fire on is to make sure you do. And are able to do that. Um, Just before we go any farther, I want to introduce another special guest here, and that's Caleb uh, Smolinars. Caleb, welcome to the the podcast and welcome to Education Matters. Welcome to this evening. Say hi.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Uh,
1: It's a joy. And, And you are involved in a campaign. And I just think this is so brave of you and so wonderful and so important that you win this campaign. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so um, a couple of days ago, the Halton Catholic District School Board voted on the matter of flying pride flags outside their schools this June, Um, and the trustees shamefully voted no, Um, and there's been a lot of outrage in the Halton queer community. Um, So I partnered with some some of my friends in classrooms, um, and we uh, drafted an open letter to the the Catholic Board of Trustees in Halton um, calling on them to um, reverse their decision and and fly the pride flags outside their schools this June, because it's such an important outward sign to communities for acceptance and just like compassion and inclusivity for the queer community. Um, yeah. So. And you've had
1: some school support, I think pretty much all the schools in Alton have supported you in this. So that's great and and others as well. So um, thank you. Thank you, Caleb, for, for that. Um, so back to you, Marit. Uh, so you only have about uh, three weeks left of the house sitting at Queen's Park. Um, maybe or maybe not, The you know, Premier Ford will be back, we don't know, um, certainly Stephen Lecce is still there, the Minister of Education, so let's talk about that for a minute, uh, and uh, my, my question to you really is there seems behind all of this, behind of the lack of response, the lack of safety in our schools, uh, the, the, the lack of action around decreasing classroom sizes, better air quality, etc. Um, behind all of this, there seems to be a motive and the motive seems to be uh, to privatize public education. And we won't even mm-hmm. get into the online piece, too, because that's part of it. Talk to us about that. Is that really what's going on here?
2: Well, you know, I mean, this government from the earliest days, right? When they started to do, they they hired, um, you know, American consultants to to give them advice on where they could cut corners, how they could save money. That was their big priority. And they they, one of the reports that came out was very clearly identifying. A move to charter or voucher schools, which is really the privatization of, of public education um, or publicly funding private education um, as one of the ways that they could save money. So from a very early date, we knew what this government had on its mind. And and it wasn't really surprising to those of us who've been following uh, that party or, or public education in Ontario for a while. So I, I, when I look at what's gone on over the last year and I look at where we were before the pandemic even started, where you had a government that was you know, really about to cut um, 100,000 education workers, you know, that was was moving people into, you know, forced mandatory online learning because that was a way for them to cut corners. Um, And I think when you look at, you know, some of the paths they're taking now, it's pretty clear that they are expanding private involvement in public education. And I do think, you know, as we head down this road, like they like to talk about choice a lot. That's a word that um, the minister likes to throw around a lot, choice, choice and education. For me, when they talk about choice, that means to me, that's like sends up all the flags. Uh, to me, that means a move towards privatizing public education. And I'm, I think we really should all be very worried. And I think this government is exploiting the pandemic. You know, we're seeing this disruption. And what does it have the effect of? It, it can un, it can undermine people's confidence in publicly in public education. And so I think all of those things combined really point to a government that has an, an agenda, a very clear agenda. Uh, whether they get it done in this term or whether you know they get another chance to do it, hopefully not, because I think that they will not hesitate. And you know I want to also say, Sherry, I don't let I don't let previous governments off the hook here either, because I think we've seen like this systemic underfunding chipping away at public education for generations now. And and that's kind of left us in this situation where our system is so vulnerable.
1: Absolutely. Um... Gino Di Giovanni is shouting out to all the members of OPSU 2100, EAs, and DECs in Peel District School Board. Um, yes, absolutely. Thank you, uh, Gino, for that. And uh, shout out to everybody in Peel. Peel has been one of the hardest hit regions, of course, and one of the uh, least to get attention um, from this Ford government. In fact. Um, and, uh, and again, uh, giving shout outs to you, Caleb for, from Peel. So, uh, you got lots of support out there, which is nice to see. Um, so Marit, so how, what are we going to do? How are we going to make next year better than this last year. I mean, whatever happens with COVID, we hope um, touch wood that, you know, we all get vaccinated, uh, the numbers start coming down, you know, there's that scary aspect of what might happen with a fourth wave, but let's assume that we're back in September. How are we gonna make schools safer and better?
2: Well, I, I, I'm with you. I think that, you know, we've, we've laid out, uh, us and all the experts and all the education workers out there, uh, laid out, I think, of a, a bit of a path to what needed to happen over the last year, and they didn't do it. And that is partly why we end up in this situation right now, where our schools are closed, um, where uh, we don't have enough of our uh, education workers yet even vaccinated. And on the path that they're going on right now, I mean, you know, we, hopefully we are going to see supply increase in the next few weeks. But, you know, we are going to be in a crunch, I think, to get everybody vaccinated. And like you pointed out, there's people right now working in our schools uh, full-time, custodians, EAs, et cetera, who have not been vaccinated, uh, who are, you know, who are at risk. Uh, so what I'm kind of turning my attention to, and I've been sort of pushing this with the government for, well, over the last year as well, which is how do we deal with the impact of the disruption on our students, And our our staff, the education workers, um, and our families, and what does that look like? And the government has really not done much in this regard yet. They're still looking kind of down the road a few weeks as opposed to a few months. And what I'm, and in fact, in their recent budget, they they're they're cutting education, and they've announced to boards that they're going to be cutting staff. So you know, whereas I think a lot of us look at the situation we've been in over the last year and and say like, there's there's no way they can't invest, you know, and, and, and put more supports in place for our students and, and support our teachers and other education workers. Um, how can we possibly not be doing that coming into the next school year? But in fact, the government seems to be heading in the opposite direction. They want to believe that once this is over, they can just wipe their hands of it. But every study, every international study, other countries are looking very closely at these issues and saying, no, um, the, the, the impact on child and youth, uh, mental health, the stress and anxiety, uh, the pressure that our education workers on the front line have been through, the exhaustion. And then, you know, in the fall, uh, I I want to say, like, I really trust that our educators or education workers are like they're the professionals that will do the best job in helping to assess the needs of our students each individual student because students will have some students will have fallen far farther behind than others or will have have suffered in other ways and and they're in the best position to help assess that but they're going to need supports you know so I want to see the government you know, ramp up the number of educational assistants, provide additional supports for teachers. I wanna see them put, you know, a DECE in every single kindergarten classroom. I wanna see them reduce the classroom sizes and put mental health workers in our schools. Like, I think we should be thinking big and expecting more from this government.
1: Yeah, I mean, someone, Nina here, uh, uh, Basharat has talked about, you know, the voucher system in the United States. And I mean, south of the border, we see this, uh, of course. Um, we've also seen some incredible, you know, uprisings, some strikes by teachers that have been relatively successful in the States too. So there's, there's definitely fight back happening there as well. We're hearing that you're a, uh, a hero, Caleb, in chat, that's for sure. And Halton's here, Halton's in the room. Um, uh, a school administrator here. Um, Natalie Tessier saying, you know, if there's one thing I confirm is just how this pandemic has shown how fragile many of our students are. They're struggling in this virtual environment and we are doing the best to support them. Um, Talk about that, Marit, could you for a minute talk about online learning? Remember, this was an issue even before uh, the pandemic really hit. Uh, I mean, this was a move uh, that the government was trying to make, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just listened reading what Natalie is is putting in the chat there, um, talking about how this this pandemic has really shone a light on how fragile so many students are. You know, I think back to a year ago when we all started, when when we first shut down and what I heard more than anything from teachers and other folks in the classroom was that fear of like what was going to happen to those students. Um, people were really, and I'm looking at around, and I'm thinking there's probably a lot of nodding heads, right? It was like this fear of like, well, what about that one student who relies on my classroom or comes to school and needs to, needs food, needs a snack program? Uh, the kids who need the support um, that that and, and to have meet other caring adults at school, right? People dealing with a lot of challenges at home, and what would this mean? And then, let alone the, the kids who just who struggle um, in many different ways. So I think that's that's something that has really been very apparent throughout this, and I I know it's been weighing heavily on um, a lot of education workers. Um, And yes, I mean you know some of this, this 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 whittling away at education, right? We we know that schools are more than just you know reading, writing, and arithmetic. (laughs) Right. It's all of those other things. It's the safety net. It's the, it's the, um, the interaction as she puts it here with caring, other caring adults. It's so critical. And so many of our children right now and youth are really suffering because they don't have that. Um, so those issues and the fact that the government is, has really not like, to be honest, like has really done the very barest minimum, if anything, to support those students and those workers is shameful. And to me, it just points to like, What is their interest here in the end? Is it just to disrupt education? Because that's what they're doing.
1: Uh, Hubert uh, here is talking about educators in special education, we know Uh, that they're still in the classes, and they have been in classes since the beginning, uh, and with students that just will not wear masks, and they're the most vulnerable students, of of course, and they're scared, and their families are scared, and, of course, the staff are scared. Um, There's been really not a lot of focus on special ed uh, during this pandemic at all. Uh, And we know, by the way, I just... um, I just tweeted today um, one of Imgren, the biostatistician's charts that shows the effect that schools have had on COVID overall. I mean, we know that schools have been unsafe and we know that they have been spreading into the community, unlike the... The government has said um, it was interesting. They did that flip flop. One day schools were safe. The next day they were unsafe, according to Stephen Lecce. Um, so um, but let's talk about special ed for a minute. And uh, yeah, please, if there are any special educators here in the group, let me know you're here and what your concerns are. Marit.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I've heard from so many um of those EAs and other folks who've been working with those um, in those classrooms that remain open, and of course, you know as well like the custodians and others who've been there throughout, and um, and the real fear there. And let's be honest, it was all it, there were fears already. I mean, workers in in a lot of our schools have suffered, you know, physical violence and stuff. Which you know is has been really tough, and we've been talking about it for years, and we haven't had enough action there. Um, but that that feeling of being unsafe, and and the worst part, I think, maybe that nobody seemed to be paying attention. Um, so like the lack of PPE, the lack of the government really acknowledging the reality of the fact that there were classrooms always open, but also all those workers who, and I know, I'm sure a lot of the folks here, you know, it's it's a real struggle because there's also a recognition that those families need them desperately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They need
2: them desperately. So it's a what a terrible situation for us to all be in.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, talking about PPE, um, I, I remember hearing this on Twitter from a lot of educate education staff um, that the the government was requiring um, educate education staff to wear government issued PPE, which was really substandard, and not allowing um, education workers to bring their own PPE, uh, and then um, saying that if they didn't wear government issue, they and something went wrong, then they wouldn't be able to apply for WSIB. Anybody want to? talk to that i'm seeing some people holding up their their crappy here. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. lots of nodding heads here yeah. yeah i mean this is outrageous is still this is still the case what's happening any any update on that i i gather that uh, just now um uh n95s have been sent to special education workers um but they're scared okay yeah, yeah.
2: i see yeah yeah I, am you know, I had somebody send me a um, recently. I've got kind of, it, kind of hidden behind me here. I can't reach it, but uh, um, an education worker sent me in a big envelope, one of the the um, visors or the plastic things that, mm-hmm. they give you, and and it was like she gave it to me, and it was all disassembled and said, "This is what we received. Try to put it together." Well, <laughs> I still have to put it together. What is that? And and also how useless. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, someone said Angela is here saying I donated uh, N95 masks to to her class and they're scared to wear them because they aren't board approved so they won't be covered if they get sick. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, this is awful, um, just unbelievable. Um, yeah, so uh, another concern here from uh, teachers who are about to graduate as teachers, about to get into the field, yeah. saying, um, you know, uh where where will the jobs be i mean what kind of jobs are we looking at uh
2: it's a real like and you know i mean i i i see that and i i don't know where you're at in your in your schooling but i mean the other big issue that the teacher candidates are dealing with right now is having to do this math proficiency exam which which is being thrown at them after they've basically you know gone out into the workforce to help support everybody, and you now they still have to go back and do that. And for many of them, it's completely irrelevant to what they're going to be teaching, and they're not getting any preparation time, um, you know, and I will say, um, you know, I wanted, that's why I think one of the reasons why we need to keep pushing for these smaller class sizes, because we we can accommodate it, but we just need to plan for it. And we have lots of young new teachers—not young necessarily, but new teachers graduating. Um, who and and I think you know. I, and again, I'm not like maybe looking to some of our our uh, folks from the from the unions here might want to address this, but my sense too is that we've lost a lot of people, a lot of experienced uh, teachers because they're exhausted. They're and other education workers. Um, they they're they're stressed. They. They, you know, this has been, you know, I think there's been a fair number of early retirements. So, um, but, but, you know, overall, my fear is that the government will just use these opportunities to, you know, increase class sizes and, and cut costs. And when they say cut costs, a lot of the time they mean layoff uh, workers.
1: Yeah. Um, many comments. EAs are on the brink. Yes, I've heard that many times yeah. on Twitter. Um, the Ministry of Labour is in cahoots with the Minister of, uh, Ministry of Education. Yes, because you're supposed to be able to refuse unsafe work. Good luck trying. Um, and by the way, Dufferin uh, Peel, there's a comment here. I'm just trying to scroll down to see it. Um, uh, the, the, those brave folk who actually walked out, who refused, a Dufferin Peel, work refusals in September over PP and nothing much has changed. Um, yeah, please, uh, it, Jennifer, anybody there from that Dufferin Peel work refusal, um, uh, let me know about that. Um, I see that there's a hand up. Um, Jennifer, did you want to say something? Just unmute yourself.
3: Hi, Sherry, thanks for having me tonight. Uh, Yeah, I was involved in the um, Dufferin Peel work refusals in September after we discovered that the provided PPE was not up to standard, nor was it even approved. And Health Canada was actually very helpful for getting us some information on that, as were some of our graduate students who worked at uh, Health Canada. They came back to help out their teachers and get them some information. So we did that. Uh, there was about 40 of us all individual work refusals of course I'm also a certified health and safety site inspector so um, it took about two days but by the end of that day we had new more they were improved Uh, not definitely not the uh, surgical masks we were we were promised by Mr. Leche but a definite improvement. And by within a week, the entire school board had uh, been provided with better masks, but they are not n 95 and they, um, you know, it cost me two days of work, not economically, but it, it was a, a challenging situation. It was uh, difficult. It's very emotional to do. Uh, luckily, there was 40 of us at different locations. So there was a lot of support.
1: Mara, you're being asked about, uh, asking Leche about the N95 uh, masks. I mean, for heaven's sakes, you can get them at Walmart, not that I'm you know, suggesting people shop at Ma- Walmart necessarily, but uh, but I mean, th- these are cheap and they're disposable now. I mean, why can't the, the, you know, Ministry of Education provide at least that?
2: Government has wanted to spend as little as possible throughout this entire experience. I mean, they have really cheaped out, and I, I hate to because to me, it's also about so many other things, but at the end of the day, they have really cheaped out too, right? They don't want to spend a cent more than they have to. And they, we've seen it in long-term care. We've seen it in education and uh, we have seen it in public health. And, you know, when you look at where we're at as a province right now, there's no, I think most Ontarians are actually seeing it for what it is right now. This is a government that failed us. So the fact that they continue to do this, to resist, and that it has to take, you know, walkouts and things like that to be able to get basic, basic protection. Um, is outrageous. And I think somebody earlier on said, you know, that they feel like the government, like Mr. Lecce and everybody else, just really have no respect for people who work in this sector. And I think that is absolutely true. You know, some of this is also about them, let's be honest, undermining the unions. Yeah. You know, they have they have looked for someone to blame and they want to blame education workers.
1: Um, Caleb saying, uh, and uh, and this is something I heard on Twitter a lot, of course, uh, especially in the really horrible months of winter, teachers being forced to eat lunch in their cars. If you didn't have a car, guess what? You ate lunch outside in a corner somewhere. I mean, if there was like uh, this is absolutely ridiculous. And there was this one woman who was, you know, almost assaulted in her car. Um, I mean, again, um, if anybody wants to speak to that from their experience, but, you know, this is just for safety. Um, So let's talk. uh, Yeah, I'd I'd like to talk about that, too. So what are we going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again this year, Um, uh, that teachers have the upper hand? Uh, Now, I did hear I, I had some unionists on my show before who were talking about not being in a, you know, a legal strike position. The government could bankrupt them if they wanted to go out. Um, but I also had the feeling because of, you know, these work stoppages like yours, Jennifer, um, that, you know, people are ready, like people are just ready to, to go the next step. What, what am I hearing from you folk? Nima? So, yeah, I mean, when, when we voted on our last contract, I was one of the few secondary teachers who voted no. And I felt that because we voted yes, Zetje was willing to kick us even more. You know, that's how I feel that he's willing to kick us down even more. And why, why, why did why did we vote yes to give him the satisfaction we shouldn't have? So Nima, just again, I voted yes to what? Could you just expand no, no, on that? Mm-hmm. Voted voted no to our OSSTF contract last spring. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it was our union contract uh, had been renegotiated. Right, okay. It was, it was tough timing, right? Yeah. It was like brutal
2: timing. I mean, you guys had been, you know, all of those unions had been out. Uh, it was incredible uh, strike action going on. And I have to say, like so many people, I felt historically, like it was one of those moments when parents and, you know, families came together with education workers and students in a, in a pretty historic way, and you know, because the government loves these these work actions, too. They hope that they're going to divide everyone, and I think that's what they were hoping in this whole pandemic, too. I think they thought that they could, you know, that this would drive a wedge. And I actually, I mean, you may feel differently, some of you. I know it has not been an easy time for anyone, but I feel like it's actually, again, you know, from what I hear from family members, is um, and of course, many education workers are also uh, parents. <laughs> Uh, juggling all of this. Um, but but what I hear most is actually people under, feeling like a great um, respect and, and thankfulness for what everybody has given this year. So I think it's had the opposite effect. And I think that's actually an interesting point in terms of where we head now, because I think that is partly where the strength is, that I think that a lot of Ontarians are united now in their feeling that this government has really
1: let them down. Absolutely. Um, Hubert makes a good point um, that we should all be very mindful of using the term educator, not teacher. Yes, thank you for that, Hubert. Um, and, um, and Lisa's saying lots of us are afraid to cause a stink, quotes, quotes, out of fear of discipline from the boards. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, maybe somebody wants to talk to that. I mean, there's lots of ways of disciplining people without, you know, overtly doing anything that might be grieved. So um, is, Is that something that people are experiencing too? I'm hearing about that. The other thing, to Marit's point about parents also, teachers also being parents, um, quarantining. uh, I don't know how many of you have had to quarantine over cases in your school or classrooms or close to you or have had that experience or colleagues who've had that experience, but it's pretty tricky. Um, so one teacher sent me a note saying, well, you know, there are two teachers in our households, her, she and her husband. Uh, he taught in one school. She taught in another. She's supposed to be quarantining. Her kids are going to other schools. Like, how are you supposed to be safe in this mix and still look after everybody? I mean, it's it's terrible. Uh, here's uh, a parent, um, parent concerned that the government's cutting money rather than investing in education to address the learning loss over the past year. Yeah, okay, maybe this, like, we didn't really talk about online learning. How's it going for folk? How's that going? You know, is that working? Um, okay, Gina, talk to us, Gina.
4: Um, I could talk forever about this. Um... I'm an EA with Peel District School Board Um, I'm also a union steward with OPSU 2100. I've also spent some time on the union executive, so I know the hard work that they're doing. Uh, We've recently had uh, work refusals in our board. Um, At Applewood, there was 15 individual EA's that uh, did a work refusal last week. We have more this week. the MOL wrote orders for Peel Board to comply with regarding PPE that actually fits. Um, they're looking into the violence that our EAs are exposed to because of the, the PPE not fitting properly. We have some um, EAs that are five feet tall and when it's one, a one size fits all, they have gowns that they're tripping over. Um, they have students that are triggered by PPE, meaning that their masks are often ripped off, their shields are ripped off and broken, and um, there's just so many things wrong with this. Um, Now saying MOL wrote these orders, it's not really going to make a big difference for these people that are on the front lines um, with these kids, because those kids are unmasked. So the whole, um, it's risky for everybody, it's risky for families, and Peel has the highest, highest rate per capita right now. Um, and, and all of our EAs are so dedicated, they don't want to be out of school. But at this point in time, it's not safe. It's not safe for anybody.
1: Virginia, I believe you have your hand up. Virginia.
5: Hi, I'm a teacher in Peel, and I teach uh, uh, intellectually disabled Led class, Um, and I take a little bit of issue with people who say that there are going to be big learning gaps. Students are still learning who are coming online. They're still doing a lot more than doing nothing. Um, And I think if we keep saying this phrase "learning gaps," they're going to learn. They're going to lose so much. It's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what people are going to want to see and believe. Parents have a responsibility still outside of school as they always have to teach their children how to cook, how to do some of those other basic life skills which are all still part of learning. But a lot of people in um, various communities still think that education is only about the ABCs and making sure you get a's, 80s so you can get into the top level universities. And I think what's really uh, beginning to come out in this pandemic is the inequalities and the inequities that are in this province and how public education is unfortunately becoming for the lower income racialized communities and why that private system, whichever it may be is becoming more attractive to so many other people primarily in the GTA but it's a huge issue but our children are still learning they are still coming to school when they can
1: yes no and when I, they
5: can't there's a lot of other issues going on
1: ab- absolutely and i want to acknowledge that teaching at home is still teaching Is <laughs> teaching online is still teaching um uh, just before I get, I get to you mar again um natalie's been trying to get in here for a while uh, for a conversation uh, natalie
6: hi how are you this evening can you hear me okay
1: yes absolutely wonderful So
6: I am a school principal in a small school in a small Northern Ontario community. Um, As I've mentioned earlier in my comments um, and I was having this conversation with my superintendent this afternoon, this whole shift to online learning is just really illustrating how vulnerable some of our students are and we're scrambling, I'm scrambling to try and assure coverage and whatnot. Um, As part of a school in Northern Ontario, I have an important number of First Nations children in my schools, and I'm constantly advocating for support for students that are struggling. And I find that um, there's a a reticence to provide the support and it's always money, money, money. We don't have the money, we don't have the budget. We can't be giving EAs left and right. So now the default is, well, is it a First Nations child? Yes, it is. Okay, well, then Jordan's principle, Jordan's principle, Jordan's principle. So now they're offloading to the federal government to fund the supports for these kids that
1: need it. So maybe you and, could tell everybody about Jordan's principle, just in case people are not aware of what that is.
6: Sure. So what happened is that um, uh, based on, um, I, I guess, inequalities of supports for uh, Indigenous children in schools, um there was an act that was put forward and it's called Jordan's Principle. So what happens is that uh, as a school principal, I can write a letter of support advocating for an indigenous child saying, this child needs support for whatever reason. And it is submitted to the First Nations community. And then hopefully they get approval that funds an EA. So the, the board will then hire an EA and they will build the First Nations community for that child's support. And I think it's unfortunate that there's too much reliance on that. Hmm. Um, I'll give you a situation where with this whole online learning piece, I have a young man who struggles with his behavior. He's, uh, he's uh, a child that is in care at the moment. Uh, the guardian is struggling with him with the shift to online learning. He doesn't do well with change. He doesn't meet criteria that's set out by the Ministry of Education to have him come in as a high need student to my school. So we're trying to figure out plan B, plan C, whatnot, to try and meet this child's needs. And it's, it's just so frustrating. So now what's happening is because he's not able or choosing not to function in a virtual environment, we're having to switch to asynchronous learning. If we switch to asynchronous learning, that means now that an EA is declared redundant and then that just snowballs in my
1: school. Just so frustrating. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go back to uh, Marit now for some comments here, but I just want to uh, give a shout out. We've got uh, trustees here, we've got Jan Johnston and uh, members from uh, uh, Ontario English Catholic Teachers uh, Association, um, uh, see Shannon Hogan here. Anybody else want to shout out, just uh, give me your your name in chat. Um, And and Alexander, you'll be up next, but I just want to give Marit a chance here to respond maybe.
2: Well, I just first of all, I want to say to Virginia, I, I completely agree with you about this this terminology, and I really do struggle with it. I'm I'm very interested in hearing like more from folks about how you see this, it, because yes, I mean the learning has been happening, and and you know schooling has been taking place online. So I've been trying not to use the term learning gap too much because I I know the the implications of that. Um, but at the same time, we know there's also been like that this disruption has had impacts and differing impacts on some students more than others and sort of to, um, to Natalie's point, you know, there's this, what I'm also hearing from a lot of you is like just this enormous concern about those students that are the most vulnerable that have been left behind. And, you know, when I hear you talk about, you know, different levels of you know, going, going using Jordan's principle that way. It's infuriating, right? Because like, it is just the most basic of rights to education that every child has to be supported, to have their basic needs met, you know, to be able to learn in a, and it is so infuriating that they would pay, play past the buck like that all the time. It's outrageous. Um, and I guess that's why I think that we need to be having conversations like this right now about what is it that it's gonna really take you know what are we? What do we? What do you, as education workers or trustees and boards or principals? What are your priorities here? You know, is it that every student? You know, ultimately, you know, we know that the that the the issues are systemic. It's not just about the pandemic. It was always there, right? And so, like, we need to change the way we fund education. We need to get rid of the old funding formula. We need to change the way we fund education. We need to make sure that 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 children get the support they need whatever that may be. Um, And so they're deeper than just this moment, but thinking ahead to September, how do we use this opportunity to get as many supports as possible into schools so that those kids who are, so that teachers who are the, you know, or educators who are the experts at identifying like where where are the concerns and the issues and the EAs and others, where is a a child or a youth struggling? How do we empower them to be able to also ensure that the right supports get there fast enough?
1: Yeah. Right? So now we're uh, we're and some kids apparently, uh, Lisa's saying this, are, are, are thriving with on- online learning who have anxiety issues as well. So there's also that um, we have Rick Palkowski from uh, Owekta Hamilton, uh, Wentworth Elementary counselor and Provincial Human Rights Committee member. So welcome, Rick. If you want me to give you a shout out, just uh, put that in the chat. And Alex, you've had your hand up for a while.
2: Hi, um, I am a sh- don't. and currently have high school now, but I will be going to university. I am actually looking to become a teacher. And with all these cuts, I am really scared about, about the high, the small prospects of when I graduate, like mm-hmm. my bachelor of education program.
1: A very real concern, um, Mart is is, and I've heard this, uh, you know, across the board. And and Caleb, um, if you're there, you might want to, as a student, comment upon this too. I mean, uh, people are just frightened of of credits, what it's going to mean, trying to get into colleges and universities, and uh, there's that. Um, Mart, you want to say something about that? Yeah.
2: I mean, well, first of all, Alex, thanks for for sharing that. Um, and you know, I feel like in these conversations, we don't hear enough often from the students, uh, so it's really important. Um, and I know that for a lot of young people, especially in grade twelve now, or the uh, and also young adults, are really we know that you're as you're you're very nervous about the future and what it holds. I do think that um, that that's partly what we're fighting for, right? Is we're fighting for opportunity. We're fighting for more teachers. When we talk about smaller classrooms, we are also talking about more, more education workers, more educators, more EAs, more everything. And, and, and that also creates opportunity. And you know, when we talk generally about how young people, young adults are, are, I think we we're worried around the world about what the impact of all of this is gonna be on your opportunities. And the answer is the government has to get active. The government has to invest and create opportunity, and that's how we're going to get out of all of this. Whether it's through education or other uh, other sectors in the economy, we are going to have to create those opportunities. So it's really great you're here, though, to raise those issues because I think they're they're critical, and you're you're definitely not alone in having those those worries. Yeah.
1: Um, just uh, something that I'm hearing also from the from parents is, and of course, you know, this is, someone spoke earlier about privilege and those who are not so privileged, um, who are working two jobs and barely making the rent. Um, uh, I mean, certainly parents with means, and I've heard this from parents with children with special needs as well, um, you know, think about taking their children out and sending them to private school because they can afford to do so. And then again, we slip into that American, the nasty American reality of people with means send their kids to private schools and people without send their kids to public schools. That's not what we want. Caleb, you have your hand up.
0: It's really concerning for students as well, like how little information we've received from the Ministry of Education. Like, um, I'm in grade 11. I miss the... Um, the Uh, grade 10 literacy test last year because of the pandemic i don't know if i'll still have to take it next year or not um a lot of my peers are really concerned about that as well and then for other people like in grade nine they don't know what's happening with exams and like eqao Um, and all around it's just really concerning how little information
1: we're getting
2: from its government. The, a disrespect for the students in there, right? Isn't there mm-hmm. a real disrespect for mm-hmm.
1: students? Yeah. yeah. Natalie has also made an important point here. There's a, an important point that must be remembered. There was a recent change to the Education Act that now allows people with no education qualifications to be directors of education. Think of the harm this will have to a school board when you have a bean counter with no knowledge, concept, or experience in uh, school making decisions. Uh, extremely dangerous should be reversed. Um, yeah. Um, again, um, um, and this is, goes to the funding fa- formula too. Our children are not, you know, widgets. <laughs> you yeah,
2: know? <laughs> right. And you know, I'd say as well that they, the government, when they brought in that that change, in the le- in in the legislature, they they used the excuse that this was going to be an opportunity to, to provide greater um, uh, diversity. That was the way they framed it. Well, watch out for this kind of language from this government, because the first person who I think who was hired under that was um, you know, a, a, somebody who had been a teacher for just a few years, came out of like the Bank of Nova Scotia as a manager and, and didn't last a few months, right? Like being a director of education is a big deal. And we need people who have experience uh, in the classroom who understand and value education to be in those leadership positions. So, you know,
1: yeah, I have to. Rick here and others are speaking about the necessity to, sorry to cut you off their mind, um, (laughs) to just get rid of Ford and Lecce. Like, we just need to get them out. Um, So, there is that. Uh, There is that. I mean, I know there's been a, a movement online to, you know, resign Ford. Uh, but of course, you know, I guess I'm just jaded having been at Queen's Park for 12 years. But I mean, if you get rid of him, guess what? Somebody else will step into his his uh, boots. So um, really, it is the party itself that uh, is the problem here. Yeah, uh, COVID in schools. Um, so PDSP website lists three schools as open, yet she's saying we have almost 40 schools open Um, And parents won't know if there is a COVID case in their school if it is not in their child's class. Almost all open schools in Peel District School Board have active COVID cases currently. This is terrifying. Gina, did you want to, I see Jan, Jan's got her hand up. Jan, do you want to jump in here?
7: Yes, thank you. I, you know, just talking about some, you know, all the different changes that are, you know, Come to students, you know, through boards is just to let you know in terms of school boards, the same thing is happening. So, take for example, that is something we actually can talk about as trustees with our students or our families we represent is compulsory or say online learning because the suggestion is, of course, it was all on CBC and Globe and Mail. Is that they're going to say that any student who wants to, starting next year, can be an online learner? It's going to be provided by TVO. It'll be taken out of the hands of boards. Just to let you know, we we have been boards have been providing online learning forever. You know, and and it it's always tailored tailored to you know your 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 board we have a, a consortium that has created the platform so once again you could say public dollars have created this platform and and how we share it across boards you know that just say a student from blue water for example they want to take a course they can't get in their their school. And it, you know when it's not available, so we kind of do a thing in the consortium, and so they can you know take it from say Rainbow Board, but um so we swap it out, so it all works out for everybody. And they're saying, listen, you can't talk about this publicly. So we, they're you know so what's going on is that something might happen we have no idea about the consultation we actually can't talk about it because it was basically a confidential thing that we can't actually talk about it and talk to our students and our families and how they see this and it could just happen the crazy part about it and this is really crazy just say i want my students my child to be an uh, online remote learner However, if they could actually send that child who's now an online remote learner to a school, you know, say their home school, and we would have to provide supervision and we're not going to be paid for it. So I'm just letting you know, you know, (laughs) that there's lots of, you know, concerns. And and for most boards, I'm going to say the priority has been well-being, although the concern is, is that marks count this year
1: yeah um, Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the strangeness uh, uh, <laughs> one of the bits of strangeness I heard about in the education field, through Twitter um, in this last few months was teachers who are teaching online but had to go into school to do it, um, which seemed absolutely outrageous to me. Um, Alana is saying here uh, in chat, the socioeconomic disparities become glaringly obvious. Uh, a high She's a Catholic high school teacher chaplain and finds herself struggling with families um, just because they have a difficult time to stay afloat. So the privatization agenda of this government's not, of course, only in education, it's everywhere. Um, and a reminder, of course, that we just lost um, our young 13-year-old to COVID in Peel region um yeah
2: if i may I, you know sherry i what jan's referring to um because all these everybody who's been you know part of this consultation has being told and i see a lot of you know educators here too talking about you know feeling like they don't have the safety to, to speak out sometimes and um you know that's been a big issue with this government and previous governments too right is like that transparency and accountability that we get from being able to share things and and trustees and everybody else living in fear constantly um and the thing is about this plan that they're they're starting to to consult about but they've also made pretty clear they're headed there is that it really does open the door for it's another way to open the door up for privatization of education it's what this is all about it's about contracting out our education to private providers um you know lining the pockets of the friends of Doug Ford and Stephen (laughs) Lecce. And, and that's where that's going. And that's money coming out of our public uh, school system. So I think it's a really, it's actually the next big, well, it's, it's a fight that's underway now and they are definitely using the pandemic as a way to kind of hide where they're headed with this.
1: Yeah, uh, a shout out, by the way, to the unions who are running ads now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for those ads, um, keep them going. Um, and and also, um, and I'm sure you're hearing, I amplify voices of, of educators, but I'm sure you're hearing from them every minute. Um, Caleb saying here as a student, uh, back during the 2019 student walkouts, the government accused students as being pawns for the unions. Now the government's using students as pawns for their terrible, pandemic response in the school. So yeah, don't get used. <laughs> Thanks for that, Caleb. Uh, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, uh, uh, here's someone saying, I have a student in my class who's a parent who just got COVID. I'm scared for the student. There's three siblings who we teach daily, JK to 12. This family may all get COVID. Um, yeah, yeah um, uh, again, um, just... Um, yes, and Lecce did delete student comments and censor student voices on his endless selfie uh, posts on Twitter. I want to end on a kind of the, the action notes. What do we need Marit to do? <laughs> To change this. Now, we've got union uh, members here, uh, we've got activists in the room, in the virtual room. Um, you know, we've had people just walking out because it's so unsafe, uh, but obviously that has to be more coordinated and more organized if we're going to really win this thing. Um, and absolutely, I concur with you, parents are on your side, educators. I'm hearing from parents, um, you're hearing from students here tonight. Uh, parents are, you know, themselves, as you've heard Mart say, also educators but also they're on your side in this. I mean, they get what risks you've taken. I wanna thank you for risking your lives for us. Very simply, thank you for that. Marit, what are we gonna do?
2: We're gonna defeat this government. I think it's 402 days left until the next election. I usually check every morning. I think it's 402 days um, till we can unseat these guys. I wish that we had a political system that operated differently so that we might uh, be able to deal with this in other ways. But it's very hard. when you have a big majority government like these guys. So in the meantime, I think what seems to be working is when you look at where they where they've really stepped back. It was things like the outrage over closing playgrounds. We need that level of outrage here. We need people to be outraged that this government isn't planning to invest a penny in our children and our schools going into September. We need outrage. They haven't used the time they've had to make sure that every education worker is vaccinated, um, that our schools are are well prepared, that we don't have the PPE that you need. Like we need that level of outrage about this. And I think um, I think people are there. I think the problem right now is that I think people are pretty beaten down. And exhausted, so we are going to have to dig down, and people like me, you know, are going to have to, you know, you make sure our voices stay really loud. So please, don't give up on those things like writing letters and emails and petitions, and those tools in this moment are really important. Get involved in, in especially calling into conservative MPPs to their ridings, to your friends. If you live in one of those ridings, you know, you need to be calling into those MPPs every day. I can't speak for the unions and your union membership. You guys are the ones who are gonna lead that fight and it's your, your your members and your jobs, right? But I wanna say that we'll be there with you 100%, whatever happens, uh, always. Always. Yeah
1: Rick, you. Uh, yeah, Rick uh, Palkowski is saying that we need to get education workers out in the community to mobilize, um, help their education friendly MPPs get elected, get rid of the Conservatives, get rid of the Conservatives calling campaign trail donations, everything. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, get out there, get active. Uh, and, and also, and, and to Marit's point, I would just add, don't forget about your Tory MPPs if they're in your area, you know, the squeaky wheel. Right, like just bother them. I know they don't get back to you. I've heard it often. I know they don't respond, but they hear you. And on Twitter, amplify, which is what you know. All I've really done is amplify your voices, and that works. I mean, the government sees Twitter and these social platforms as a de facto poll. So they get scared. You know, they get scared when they see tens of thousands of people um say um this isn't. Good enough, and we're scared and we're dangerous. So, do that, right? Do that. Yeah. So, Mart was saying they did some targeted. Do you want to talk about that as our last yeah. few words, Mart? You did some targeted calling?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a bunch of us, uh, Toronto uh, NDP MPPs last week brought together activists. I see some of them here today. Uh, Folks from across the GTA and and further field came together and we we did targeted calling into a couple of conservative held ridings and we got people in their ridings to call them. And this was on the subject of paid sick days and it worked extremely well. So you know, we have the ability to do that, right? We can we can turn those things around. We can train people to do quick calls. People, I think, generally had a great response. Like once people heard, they were like, yeah, I can do that. I can make a call. I can send an email. And I think those sorts of targeted things, you know, these guys are worried right now. The Conservative government is very worried. I see it every day in the legislature. They are one grumpy, grumpy bunch. And they should be because they have failed Ontarians. And they're going to feel it at the election, in the next election, I think. And in the meantime, we can make them turn around on a few issues, hopefully, and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing till we get uh, where we need to be.
1: Yeah. And just remember uh, that the unsafe safe schools uh, debate with Lecce changed within 24 hours back then. (laughs) And that's because of you. Uh, That's because of your incredible uh, push, um, uh, particularly on Twitter, I have to say, was uh, it was immense and was was excellent. So I mean, you can change the government's mind. We've we've seen it happen time and time again with this government. So uh, don't be silent and absolutely um, keep on keeping on. Um, well, I want to just wrap up now. First of all, I want to thank Mart Stiles, my special guest, for being on this. This is our first uh, first experiment with doing uh, the podcast kind of radical reverend show, really, with all of you in the room, and it's it's really exciting to have you here. Thank you uh, for making education matter. Thank you for all your activism. Um, Thank you, Marit, for being our voice at uh, Queen's Park on this issue. Uh, Thank you for all the union activists that are here. Thank you for the students that are here. Thank you so much. And thank you for the educators, all of you who are here. Um, Thank you for the day in, day out of your lives. Um, And trust me, we get it, you know, we out, out here, you know, looking at you, get what you're doing and we're aware of it. We support you. You are not alone. Although you may feel it some days, you are definitely not alone. Caleb, um, good luck with, uh, I mean, you're going to win this, right? Like there's no question in my mind that you'll win this. So pride flags will be flying um, in front of all the high schools in Halton, without a doubt. Um, partly thanks to you. So um, with all of that, thank you, everyone. Um, keep uh, DMing me on Twitter. I'll keep amplifying your personal situations, what's happening in your school. I put that out there um, and let folks know and, um, and keep uh, being activists. Thank you. Whoa.